Okay, let's pray and uh, we'll get into it tonight. Dear Lord, we thank you for the time that we have together. We thank you for everything that you do um, and the fact that you are here with us. We just pray, Lord, that you would speak. Um, tell us what you want to say. Um, we're listening and help us leave and, and be more like you. In Jesus', Jesus name we pray. Amen. All right. So, Covenant Series. Uh, this is the last message. Hands up if you've kind of been here or heard all the things so far. Nice, respect, great. So most people, good. Um, I, I missed out on the Davidic Covenant. I'm sorry, Rana. I've, I, I will catch up, though, um, and you, fill me in. But, um, but I know that it probably was very theologically sound, and so uh, I'm sure we're on the same, way, same wavelength. Um, but uh, so covenants. So what we've been learning, and it was a, a brief recap, what we've been learning over this series is that God engages with people, with his people and with, with humanity uh, through covenants. And covenants is a very fancy word that just pretty much says that it's like a, a, a contract, a, a social contract that's bound by promises um, with consequences and expectation. And that in the forging of this social contract, there becomes a special relationship. Yeah, uh, that's, that's my definition. And uh, um, I'm pretty sure that that's what we've been talking about the whole way through. So um, uh, we have looked at three main covenants, which is the Abrahamic, the Mosaic and the Davidic, uh, standing for Abraham, Moses and David. Um, but there was one we didn't look at, which is the Noahic or, or the, the, the covenant that God made to Noah. And uh, not just to Noah, to all of humanity, but uh, directed to Noah and his family. Um, and I guess I'm just going to quickly give us a rundown of what they, uh, like a summary of what they are and what they revealed about God. Um, but bottom line is that all of these covenants were all intended to uh, culminate and point towards um, an ultimate plan. So, um, uh, so the Noahic covenant, the covenant that God made with Noah um, after uh, this, this sin on the land and everyone was evil. And so God was like, I got to, this is, this is agony to see humanity like this and to see my world broken as it is. So he sent the flood um, or he, he rather withdrew and the flood uh, occurred. And, um, uh, but then after the flood receded uh, and he saved Noah and his family and the animals on the ark, uh, God promised to Noah um, that, hey, I'm never going to flood the earth again. And what that revealed is God's commitment to mercy and to grace, that God is a God who is committed, regardless of what happens next, regardless of if Noah and the descendants and humanity fail again, um, God would never uh, perform such a cataclysm. Um, uh, so God is a God who is merciful and gracious. The Abrahamic covenant, when there, you know, there was no one on the land who knew God or no one who, to represent him or to point to him. Um, God chose Abraham or Abram at that time uh, to become uh, his chosen uh, representative and to create a nation from his lineage. For what purpose? For the purpose to bless the many from the one. Um, so that revealed God's heart to work with people to bless uh, us, the collective humanity. The Mosaic Covenant is a, is a further development on that, where God rescues the, the, the people of Israel, Abraham's descendants. He rescues them out of slavery in Egypt. And he 
gives them his law. And the law is a, uh, essentially, it's the vows. It's God saying, this is who I am. This is what's important to me. He said, you as my people, if you are going to be my people, you must represent me in this, uh, represent me by obeying my commands and by uh, essentially following in my path. And, and that is the Mosaic Covenant. That's, the, that's now what we call the Old Covenant. Um, so in other words, it revealed God's desire for his people to know him and to bear his name well. And then the Davidic Covenant uh, is uh, the covenant that God made with David, where so now the king uh, of Israel um, and uh, Israel is a nation. Israel has the law. Israel has the sacrificial system and all this kind of stuff. God uh, establishes a king and God says to this king, who is a man after God's heart, he says to him, um, I want to establish from your line a kingdom that will last forever, um, a kingdom that would they stack on each other, a kingdom that would obey God's laws um, and be uh, representative of him and his values, that would be a kingdom that would bless uh, the, the, the nations of the world, that through uh, his line and this kingdom, uh, it would bless the world. And that would be a, a, a faithful covenant partner, just like God is a faithful covenant partner, committed to mercy and grace. Yeah. So those are the covenants. And we get this building upon building as you read the Old Testament and you're paying attention. You get this building, building, building. And you start feeling like something's missing. Like we got all these promises. We got all these uh, covenants of God. But the people of Israel fail. The Mosaic Covenant, which is the only conditional covenant, the, the covenant where God expects something from the other party, the Israelites, they fail. Um, all the other covenants are just unconditional promises of God um, and, and him establishing this partnership with them. But um, fail, fail. The, the kingdom of David fails. Um, it's fractured and, and is broken. The kingdom of Israel splits apart. Um, they eventually go into exile. When they come back, they're never really fully back to their former glory. The priesthood and uh, all of the sacrificial system and all of the laws are never, never fully met. And that's why God exiled them in the first place. And it just feels broken. And it just feels like, where's this? What, what's going on, God? I thought you were supposed to keep your promises. Where's this all heading? And so we get promises. We get promises from the prophets. We get promises even from people like Moses himself, uh, who established, or you know, not established, but who received the Mosaic Covenant, saying, this is not perfect. There is something else, someone else, something else that God is building towards. So we're going to read some of these promises. And if you don't know where we're heading, spoiler alert, it leads to Jesus. So uh, I hope that doesn't disappoint anyone in the room. But uh, um, let's have a look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. This is Moses just before the end of his life and just after reiterating the law and reiterating the uh, consequences of not following the covenant. Uh, he says this in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the heart of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. In other words, and he pretty much says, you're going to fail. Like, I'm expecting this to result in failure. You're going to fail. There's going to be severe circumstances. But he pointed to a future hope that one day the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts or, or as Ezekiel will later kind of put it, soften your heart. Or as Joel will, will talk about it, give you a heart of flesh, not of stone. He will transform you to be able to follow the law, the covenant, um, 
not out of obligation and not out of like, oh, you know, I, I really, this is really hard for me to do this. No, but out of just natural instinct, natural desire, natural outpouring of love. Um, and that you would love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Then in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10, Isaiah looks to the Davidic covenant. He points to the covenant of what, what God promised to David. And he can see a broken kingdom. They're, they're on the, you know, there is an upcoming exile coming. Isaiah knows about it. He prophesies about it. And he says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Interestingly, this is a completely just a Bible nerd thing. Like it has nothing to do with anything. But the word shoot um, uh, 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 is the word netzer, um, which is Hebrew for branch. And uh, it also then becomes the word for Nazarene. So anyway, um, so anyway, a shoot shall come from the stump of Jesse and a uh, sorry branch. Branch is the word netter. Um, from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide uh, disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide the equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness shall be the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And little children, a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. Uh, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. So not only is uh, Isaiah drawing on the fact that God made this promise this covenant with David he's also grabbing images of the flood instead of the flood waters the chaos flood waters covering the earth and destroying uh, the evil rather no the perm the permeation of God's knowledge and the love of God will cover the earth like flood waters um, and uh, yeah he's just activating a lot of stuff yeah, um, that uh, the um, that that uh, uh, where are we um, that, yeah, that there would be peace and that there would be all these, essentially an undoing of the curse and all these other things. So this is where we get the messianic promise. So essentially what starts to happen is like something's wrong here. The covenants are not being fulfilled. We think that God is going to do something else. There will be a new covenant that will be fulfilling the old covenants but will be establishing something new and that there will be a guy uh, that they refer to as the Messiah, which literally just means anointed one, chosen one, who will bring this about. Um, and then Jeremiah 31, this is the uh, famous passage of the new covenant in the Old Testament. Um, Jeremiah 31 verses 31 to 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. 
This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So this anticipation, this like longing for this day where the covenants, the promises of God would be fulfilled and that that fulfillment of the covenants would actually lead to this new covenant. And the characteristics of the new covenant, again, we'll just recap, it'd be characterized by forgiveness and salvation from sin and evil, not just individually and internally, not just for our own hearts, but for the world um, and that it would lead to life that it would align and integrate God's law and God's heart with his people, that you and me uh, would just immediately be aligned with God and would have a heart that beats for what what his heart beats for, um, and that we would reflect him as his people, Um, that it would establish a kingdom, an eternal kingdom that would permeate the world um, with God's justice and peace for all people, for all nations, and that it would lead to blessing and flourishing, that the curse that sin brought, that we would be undone and that we would live in a new era. That's a, that's a tall order, right? Imagine you are an Israelite uh, pre-Jesus, well, I mean, you know, even in Israel now, and you are anticipating a chosen one to bring about world peace and like where suffering and pain and injustice like you gotta that takes a lot of like I'm standing here talking about it and I'm like some of you guys probably think I'm crazy or a wacko for like you know but this is what the bible is is point this is what the old testament is all pointing towards and then we get this guy called Jesus coming onto the scene and uh, um, he's a carpenter's son he was born in poverty. He was born in scandal. Uh, he was born to a teenage girl who wasn't married. Uh, that could get her killed back then. Um, he was born uh, literally with like nothing. The Bible says about him that he had no place to rest his head, that he was a, like just a, essentially just like a dude walking out, you know, for at least three years of his life. He was an itinerant kind of like um, a nomadic preacher. Um, and uh, he, yeah, he was this guy. And the Bible's claim, or the, the New Testament, the Christian claim is that Jesus is the one who fulfills these covenants, fulfills these covenants and establishes the new covenant. That's, again, a pretty outrageous claim. And like, if you've never thought about that before, and like, that doesn't make you feel a little bit like, hmm, is that actually right? I would encourage you to like, really like, you know, like... Think about it. And hopefully we do today together. So um, how does Jesus, like when I was given this topic, I, I thought to myself, mm, oh, what a smorgasbord. We could cover this in all kinds of different ways. We could, we could break it down and like go through. I could talk about the Noahic covenant, how, how Jesus is the one who demonstrates God's mercy and God's grace through healing, forgiveness, and ultimately through the cross, right? Um, so we could really unpack that and, you know, but then I was like, no. Um, and then we, uh, you know, maybe we could like, okay, the Abrahamic covenant. Um, so Jesus is the chosen, the chosen one out of the many, the chosen child of Abraham out of the many who would bring blessing from 
him to all nations. We could talk about that, but not. Uh, the Mosaic Covenant, we could talk about how, uh, you know, Jesus is the perfect Israelite who passed the test, who kept all the commandments um, and who was perfectly representative of God. He was so aligned with God that, he, in fact, he is God. That's the claim of the, the, the Bible, the New Testament. Um, we could talk about that, but no. Um, the Davidic, he is the king from the line of David. He is the king that the cross was his enthronement and that even though we live still in a broken world, he will come back again and he will establish his kingdom forever and the, the hope and, and all. But no. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at what Jesus talked about the new covenant with. And it's a pretty bizarre place that he talked about it. Open up with me, Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read this. So this is what we all affectionately call the Last Supper. I'm just going to read the story and then, um, and then we're just going to break it down a little bit. And we're almost done. So hang in, hang in there with me. So Luke 22 verse 14. When the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. That's the story. And then other things happen. Spoiler alert, he goes to the cross. He's betrayed by one of his best friends. Uh, and then he's risen again on the third day. So this, this is, um, to my knowledge, I could be wrong, but this is the only time that Jesus refers to the new covenant. Um, and uh, it is in this, uh, setting. So let's talk about it. So obviously, uh, literally Jesus is hours away from crucifixion. He knows what's coming. Like he's been alluding to it to his disciples for a while. He's been telling them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to crucify me. Um, I'm going to go away for a little while. You're going to all be confused. Uh, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me. Like, you know, he says at the supper, but you're going to deny me. And, you know, you're all going to desert me and abandon me. Um, but like, take heart. Like, it's all good. Uh, I'll, I'll be back um, and then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Like he, he knows, but he knows what's coming in the immediate few hours, which is pain and suffering, like beyond belief, right? Um, and this is the last time that he is with his friends. Now, these guys, they're all a ragtag group. They, they are more average than you would possibly expect them to be. Uh, they're your tradies, they're your fishermen, they're your... Uh, they're your tax evaders. They're your, they're, your, they're your former prostitutes, former, like, these people are, like, norm, like, not just normal people. They're, like, what other people in that society would consider the bottom of the barrel kind of people, yeah? But these people have been so captivated by who Jesus is that they followed him. They followed him for three years of, of their life, Jesus' life, and they've devoted everything to him. They have called him Messiah, They've called him the anointed one, the chosen one. They believe, like wholeheartedly, they believe 
that this is the guy. And they know, they know the Old Testament. They're, like what I just said at the beginning about the Old Testament, the promises of the new covenant, and like, like they know all of that. And they're expecting Jesus to be this person. Yeah? And so Jesus is with his friends and he's sitting down with them. And this is what he chooses. And they're having Passover. Now, Passover, again, this is a whole, could be a whole other rabbit hole. We could literally spend a whole like hour talking about this. But the Passover is the meal that, um, is, that is a um, uh, remembrance and, and a, um, uh, a, f- a feast to, to remember and declare what God did for the Israelites um, when he liberated them from Egypt. Um, so they were slaves in Egypt uh, and they were oppressed. And then God sent the 10 plagues culminating in the final plague, which was the death of the firstborn. But God gave not just the Israelites, he gave all people an opportunity to, to, to bail from that last plague. And the, the opportunity was you sacrifice an unblemished young uh, lamb and you paint its blood on the lentils of the door. And when, uh, and then you, you stay in your house. And when the angel of death passes, when the angel of death sees the blood covering the door, they will pass over the house. And Egyptians who did this, Israelites who did this, they would be saved. Um, and so this is the meal where they sacrifice a lamb and they have a feast together. And there's lots of different, and we, we did this one time a few years ago. We, uh, during Easter time, we actually did a Passover Seder um, together. It was quite fun. And anyway, but, but the whole thing is laden with imagery. It's laden with, um, uh, with things that are to remind, to give thanks for, and to have hope in what God um, does uh, for his people. Um, and so Jesus is using this meal and his last hours on earth with his friends to tell them this is it like the new covenant it's about to dawn and he like with probably both pain and angst but also excitement um this is the moment where jesus chooses to utilize an old uh, a, a member like a, a a feast that points back to point forwards and this is how he does it. It's, it's quite remarkable and quite shocking. Like even if you've been following for Jesus for three years, like this is still going to kind of like make you go, what, what are you talking about? Um, so uh, he first takes the bread and he gives thanks. Now, normally, uh, you know, if, and you could look this up, by the way, if you look up um, the Haggadah for Passover, you, you'll see what you're supposed to and what they have been saying for thousands of years um, the blessings that they say before each element. So you take the bread, um, oh, sorry, before the meal, you give thanks. Um, and uh, this is the thanks that you're supposed to say. Blessed are you, God, our God, King of the universe, who has granted us life, sustained us, and enabled us to reach this occasion. So Jesus would have said that. He gave thanks. Um, and then normally what you would do when you break the bread is you, you would say this. This is what they would say. This is the bread of affliction that our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Whoever is hungry, let him come and eat. Whoever is in need, let him come and conduct the Seder of Passover. This year, we are here. Next year, in the land of Israel. This year, we are slaves. Next year, we will be free people. 
And then that would then launch into a retelling of the Exodus story and, and the, you know, all of that stuff. So Jesus, he's given thanks. He's breaking the bread. And every good Jewish boy and girl knows what's supposed to come next. Those words. But Jesus doesn't say those words. Jesus says, uh, all right. he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The bread, that was a symbol of, so the unleavened bread, they had to get out of there quickly. They, they couldn't let the bread rise or anything like that. That's why it's unleavened bread. Broken. This is a symbol of our hardship in Egypt. Our backs were broken. This is what happened to us as a people. And we, we eat it and all who are weary and burdened and downcast and all those who need hope come sit in the, and have this Passover. Recognize that there is a God who liberates who sets you free. Recognize that there is a God who took us out of Egypt, out of slavery, and led us into a land of Israel who made us not just free people, but a kingdom of priests and a kingdom, uh, uh, well, yeah, a kingdom of priests. Jesus says, hey, this is my body that's broken. He's not erasing what came before. He is using it to culminate to this is how you are free. My body breaks do this in remembrance of me. All you who are weary, all you who are downloaded, all of you who are slaves, all of you who are finding yourself in a hard spot, remember, there's a God who liberated and there's a God who breaks. And do this in remembrance of me. Yeah? And then he says, uh, so before we talk about the next thing he says, so there are four cups of wine that they, that they drink in Passover. Or, you know, I mean, you can have lots of cups of wine, but um, there are four ritual cups of wine that um, are given, uh, uh, you know, and, and we don't know exactly when this tradition of the four cups started, but like they think that Jesus, that this is an old tradition, that this would have been during the time of Jesus. The four cups of wine um, uh, are representative of Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. I'm not going to read it to you, but essentially it's God declaring that he would take the people out, uh, that he would rescue them, that he would redeem them, and that then he would bring them to the promised land. That was God's promise to Moses and to the people of Israel, that he would take them out, that he would uh, rescue them, that he would redeem them, and then he would bring them into the promised land. The, the theory, and again, not super clear, but the theory is that Jesus, and, and the reason why the theory is this way, is that Jesus is uh, going to speak about, this is my blood and the, the blood of the new covenant uh, poured out for you. Uh, he speaks this the third time, which is the whole redeem you. Um, and the reason why we think that is because the, the fourth cup is, is drunk at the very end of Passover. The third cup is drunk uh, um, at the end of the meal. So have a look with me at uh, Luke 22, uh, verse 20. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, um, he took it and he said, this, is, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So... Again, Jesus is not uh, scrapping. He's fulfilling. Um, and what he is saying here is he's saying, hey, not only is my body broken for you to liberate you, to set you free, but my blood is spilled to redeem you, to purchase you back to me, uh, to God, that you need saving. 
that you need saving, that your sins and your brokenness um, need my blood to be spilled. Um, and yeah, so blood. Or if you think about it, all covenants are forged in blood, um, or at least the biblical ones. Um, the Noahic covenant, it is the blood of the, the ground, on the ground, so Abel when he was murdered, the blood of the innocent, and then murder and death and evil cycled over and over and over again. And it gets to the point where the blood of the innocent cries out to God and God just can't, God is not angry, God is sad. And that's why he sends the flood to wash the land clean. Um, the blood of the innocent led to the Noahic covenant. The um, Abrahamic covenant, uh, we, Shady kind of read that passage about how God tells Abraham to cut up all the animals, the carcasses. And God, um, when Abraham is in a deep sleep, he passes in between the carcasses of the dead. It is the blood of the animals. It is the, the, the promise of God that regardless of what you do and, and how screwed up you are, Abraham, I commit to you that the blood of these animals and, and the blood that is spilt here today, let it be to me if I ever fail you and fail to live up to the promise that I make with you. Um, the, uh, the Mosaic Covenant, uh, the, the Mosaic Covenant, literally the, the, the Passover, the, 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 the lamb and like the cost um, to bring them out. And then also, um, uh, um, well, you know, just the, yeah, we'll just leave that there. And the Davidic covenant. Um, so the Davidic covenant uh, came when David wanted to build a house for, for God. Um, he built a house, but God said, no, your hands have spilled too much blood. Um, you, you, and so again, it was the blood on David's hands, but also the heart, the heart of David, that he would want to honor God and show him love um, in that way that made or that enabled God to, to make a promise like that to David. Blood, and here the new covenant um, is, is painted with the blood of Jesus. It is forged by the blood of Jesus. And guess what? God is the only one who makes these covenants. What's Jesus saying? That it is my blood that will make this covenant. The claim that Jesus makes is not just I'm here to fulfill and, and establish this covenant. It's I am God who is announcing and making and sealing this covenant with my very life, which is uh, that's something that no one expected um, about the Messiah. Um, and this is the claim that Jesus makes. Um, and the blood that is spilled, it makes us realize two things. Um, it, it makes us realize that number one, we are in need, right? That like that Jesus needs to redeem us, but it also shows us the preciousness and the cost, um, that this is not something that God um, did lightly um, and, and, and it cost him everything. Um, so here's what's left out of this story. One is the Passover lamb. Uh, we don't hear anything about the Passover lamb for good reason, because Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world which, spoiler alert, John kind of said at the very beginning of the gospel, a lot of the gospels. So, um, but, uh, and also what we're, what we're about to read, if you continue to read Jesus on the cross. Um, 
but the other thing that's left out of this story is um, the fourth cup um, and what Jesus says about the cups, which is that I will not drink of this um, again. I will not drink of this cup again um, until uh, the kingdom of God has come. That the, the new, you know, that essentially we're good, like it's all been accomplished and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, i.e. pointing to a future hope that we are inheritors. And, and if, you, if you believe in Jesus, if you say, hey, yeah, he is the Messiah. Hey, yeah, the covenants are fulfilled in him. Hey, yeah, he established this new covenant. And that through him, all of the things that we hoped for in the new covenant, that our hearts would be restored and aligned with God, that the world would be permeated with God's glory and his justice and peace. Right now, through us, which is crazy as well, like God's call to his people is that now you are, you carry the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, God himself in you, and therefore you are, you are his representatives. You are little Jesuses on, here on earth. You are supposed to live out this life um, that changes um, uh, the, the world around you and the people around you. Um, so this is, this is the claim. And, but... There will be a day. There will be a day. Just like there was the day of the Passover and the exodus from Egypt, but then there was the eventual defeat of the Pharaoh as they kind of got swept up in, in the waters. Um, there is a day coming where there will be a completion of the new covenant, where we're in the kingdom now and not yet, that there is the revelation of the truth and revelation of the promise and what it looks like in Jesus and then represented and, and manifested in our lives. But then there is a future hope that there will be a full permeance uh, of, of God's will and plan and his kingdom throughout all the land. Yeah. And I think the most important thing to take away from this series of covenants is that we are incapable, um, that the Abrahamic covenant even though God promised to Abraham, it's almost like Abraham tried his best to make God like go against his promise. He screwed up time and time again. Uh, the, the Mosaic Covenant, I mean, obviously the people of Israel failed and it's declared as much by their very prophets um, and, and therefore the need for the Messiah. But um, God still upheld um, his promise by giving them the Messiah, Jesus, who would restore what they broke. And um, uh, the Davidic covenant, again, David's family uh, and David himself, like, come on, guys, like, you know, you tried really hard for, to, but despite all of that, God still were. And same thing, Jesus, none of this hang, it's an unconditional covenant. None of this hangs on anything other than surrender. None of this hangs on anything other than the fact that you need to recognize your need. You need to recognize God's ability and the precious price that he paid and who he is. That's it. That's it. And I don't know about you, but that is a very hopeful thing. That is, that is good news. Um, and that is good news not just because, like, our great ticket to, you know, God town and whatever. It's good news because like, hey, I've got, I've got the eternal God of the universe, the great I am who loves me, 
who did everything for me. And no matter what I do in return, um, he's utterly committed, utterly to com- committed to seeing um, me and the world uh, be the place that he wants it to be and, and for us to be the people he wants us to be. Uh, all we need to do, all we need to do is just accept it. Just accept it. So what we're going to do is we're going to close our eyes and we're going to pray. And I don't know. I don't know every person in this room. And I definitely don't know where you are at with God. Um, This may be old news to you. And I'm glad. Um, But how are you going with just accepting it? How are you going with letting go? We try to earn everything in our lives. We try to earn literally everything. Um, And there are some things we do have to work and earn, but um, you cannot earn God's favor. You cannot earn God's forgiveness. You cannot earn what Jesus did on the cross. That is something to be accepted. Accepted humbly, with thanks, and with just fear and trembling because it shows you who you are. So have you accepted it? And if you have, how are you living? Does your life, does your life reflect this truth? Are you living out a life that says that Jesus is Lord, that says that Jesus is the Messiah, the author and perfecter of my faith, the one who made the covenant that by his blood is spilt blood, that it was forged and sealed, that his spirit lives in my heart, not because you have to or you need to earn anything, but because my heart automatically sings and aligns with him. The things that the prophets desperately wanted to see, we have, you have. Are you letting it change you? Are you letting it transform you and change the way that you view the world and view your life? If you are someone who does not know the King of Kings, the Messiah, um, today you can if you want to. And I'm not going to get people to put their hands up or anything like that, but um, I invite you as best as you know how right now to pray and to say, hey, Jesus, what you did on that cross, um, I need it for me and I want to know you and be in in a covenant relationship with you. And I want you to be Lord of my life. And those of you who have done that at some point in your life, if you need to repent, if you need to turn, repent just means turn around. If you need to turn around from something or other, many things even in your life that has, where somewhere along the way you've lost the truth of this message, do it. Do it now. Don't, don't delay. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the time that we can spend together. And your love and what you did for us is just so captivating. It doesn't matter how many times we think about it or talk about it. It just is so um, beautiful. Um, it, 
it compels us to have a response, Lord. And I just pray for everyone here and anyone else who may listen to this down the line, Lord, that we would respond to you with grace. Oh, sorry, that we would respond to your grace with, um, with just desire, eagerness, and with a, an acknowledgement of our need of you, Lord. Help us to be your people. Help us to have your heart. Help us to live out the life that you want here on earth as we wait for your kingdom to fully come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.